Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 42nd episode of our podcast, I interviewed Adam Medros, president and COO of edX. Adam is one of the most successful consumer web executives in the Boston area. As Senior VP of Global Product at TripAdvisor, he was one of the key members of the team that helped the company scale to a global, publicly traded company with 400 million monthly users and over $1.5 billion in annual revenue. Adam joined edX last November in an executive leadership role for this organization that has an amazing social mission attached to it. Founded in 2012 by Harvard University and MIT, edX is an online learning destination and MOOC which is an acronym that stands for a massive open online course provider. They offer high quality courses from the world's best universities and institutions to learners everywhere. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like Adam's background and his career path, advice for people who are considering business school, great stories behind the hyper growth years at TripAdvisor, why he decided to join edX and the details on their platform, his experience as a board member at WordStream, and advice on selecting board members for your company, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. Have you visited the VentureFish job board lately? If you haven't, you definitely need to go there. We have over 3,500 career-defining opportunities listed from the fastest-growing tech companies in the Boston area. So don't put your career on hold. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash jobs to get your search started. There are jobs listed at all levels of experience and across all job categories. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Adam. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. So rumor has it, Adam, that you were the original creator of the gap year. That's pretty common now. But back when you and I were looking at colleges, it wasn't something people normally did. Yeah, certainly not Americans. Uh, I think I think Australians were actually the original creator of the gap year. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I took a year off between high school and college, so I uh, I was a pretty intense uh, high school student, um, and I used to uh, I used to have this mode where I would I would come home from soccer practice, I would basically go to bed, uh, sleep until it was sort of late in the evening when everyone else in the household had gone to bed, so I could work with no interruptions. Uh, and late one night, um, around, you know, like one in the morning, I think I was making some coffee and reading the newspaper and basically procrastinating. Um, and, uh, uh, and I saw this ad for exchange students and I thought to myself, yeah, you know, why go to college next year? Why not take a year off? And, uh, and so I applied, uh, for this exchange student program. And actually the, the fun part of the story was you had to you had to rank three countries. So this is 1991. Um, you had to rank three countries that you wanted to go to. Um, my countries uh, in, in rank order were um, Germany, um, Yugoslavia, and uh, Iceland. Um, and, uh, you know, in retrospect, had I gone to Yugoslavia, I would have been uh, evacuated because a civil war happened in 1991. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, I did end up in Germany. Uh, I showed up in Germany knowing almost no German. Uh, I went to high school again for a year. Uh, but mainly I, uh, I drank a, a fair amount of beer and, uh, and really kind of decompressed from high school. And then, uh, I had deferred college for a year. So then I, I went to college. So now I see the incentive because in the United States, you weren't legal to drink beer. You go overseas yeah. and you're like, game on. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, it was really, it was, uh, it was really a transformative experience for sure. So just going further back, where, where did you grow up? 
Uh, so I grew up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I was actually born in Boston, but I consider myself a, a New Hampshire native. Uh, yeah, grew up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, great place. Um, uh, different than it is today, uh, but um, you know, a good place to grow up. Like we used to uh, ride our bikes to the beach in the middle of the night. We used to uh, uh, go play pond hockey out in the woods. Um, it was it was great. Uh, I'm a fellow New Hampshireite, so I grew up in Hooksett, New Hampshire. Went to high school in Manchester. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, Portsmouth is an amazing, amazing place. Yeah, we probably uh, we probably played sports against each other at some point. So the um, so how did you end up at Dartmouth? Other than you know another great uh, school in New Hampshire, Ivy League. But uh, what was your decision to attend Dartmouth? Yeah, I um I had uh, I I obviously had sort of intentions to try to apply to a bunch of competitive colleges. Um, I you know Dartmouth was one of those ones where uh, I thought to myself like I'm going to spend you know a good part of my life in cities. Um, and so why, why not go someplace where the college was the focus and not the city? And so uh, I applied early decision to Dartmouth. Um, you know, I'll, I'll insert the thing that everybody says nowadays, which is like, I probably could not get into Dartmouth anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, um, uh, but it was great. And, you know, it was exactly everything I wanted. It was a small place. It was teacher, you know, focused, uh, um, uh, and, um, and the college was the, um, you know, was the destination. And, and, and for me, that was perfect. And then you coupled that with, um, coming back from Germany and, and Germany, you know, again, I think almost impossible to recreate these days. Like there was no, you know, there's no Facebook, no Snapchat. There was, I talked to my parents maybe every couple months, um, you know, you had to handwrite letters, right. Mm -hmm. There was no email. Uh, I, I certainly wasn't going to find AOL access uh, there. I lived with a family, um, you know, for for the year, but it really was like a cut the cord kind of moment. Um, and I, and for me, that was it was great. I showed up at college like ready to be in college and not ready to just continue high school. Now, most people when they enter into college, they um, don't have an idea of what they want to do. Like, did you have any sense of what you wanted to do, you know, professionally? Yeah, it was kind of it was a little bit. Um, in some ways, yes. I mean, I knew I wanted to do something in sort of the business space. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, I had a couple of internships. Um, in my junior year, I interned at JP Morgan um, and realized that banking in New York City were not the right things for me. Um, I then really wanted to work in consulting. So I, I had... Um, I'd really focused a lot of my time uh, sort of on consulting, recruiting my senior year. Uh, and I actually tell the story all the time, uh, which is um, uh, I like I kind of knew all of the consulting companies. I knew the boutique ones um, and uh, actually Parthenon Group, which is based here in Boston, uh, was a small consulting firm um, that really nobody had ever heard of at the time, right? It was like 25 people that had just started a couple of years before. Um, and I kind of knew it. And it was like my, it was like my secret, right? Like nobody else, it was on nobody else's radar screen. And, uh, and then lo and behold, I found out they were coming to campus to recruit that year. Um, and, um, and so like, I felt like the secret was out. I applied and actually got rejected. Um, and I wrote, um, one of the alums from Dartmouth in email or actually a letter. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the sort of the classic story of like, Hey, you know, this is a mistake and this is the company I really want to work for. And here's why. And like, you know, I'd love the opportunity if you're on campus just to chat about it. Um, and, uh, and actually um, I did get a chance to chat with that person over a beer. Um, 
uh, I think we were having, uh, I think like literally, I think we were playing beer pong and he asked me one of these classic consulting, you know, questions of like, if you have eight pool balls and, you know, like three of them weigh the same, but you know, one Mm -hmm. weighs more and one weighs less. How do you, you know, how do you figure out which one it was? And over a beer, we sort of figured out that question. And then, um, (laughs) uh, and then that led to an interview and I ended up working there. So, um, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways I I've, I've gotten uh, a ton of like these lucky moments and and opportunistic moments uh, that have worked out great. But you created your own luck too. If you didn't write that yeah. letter, it never would have happened. And Parthenon. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. You know, you gotta you gotta sort of create those opportunities, but then uh, uh, when they present themselves, you gotta take advantage of them. And, and Parthenon's a great firm. There's lots of great alum that I've I've met through the years there. So. It's, yeah, uh, it was great. I mean, it was a 25 person consulting firm at the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing strategy work. I learned a ton uh, the, the first two years I was there, you know, the two years I was there. And then uh, and that then led me to, to my job in Amazon. Yeah. And let's talk about Amazon. So at yeah. that point, obviously, they were a giant, not as large of a giant as they are today, of course. But yeah. what was your role there? Yeah, so I um, so I I knew I wanted to work in high tech. I was I was uh, most of my clients that I worked on at Parthenon that I really enjoyed um, were companies that were doing things in the technology space. Um, and and so I knew in leaving, this is back when you know people typically they worked consulting for a couple of years, then they worked somewhere else operationally, and then they went to business school. And I knew I was kind of on this mindset of like, okay, I'm going to go to business school eventually. Uh, you know, so how do I go get my operational job in technology? Um, and a uh, friend of a friend uh, uh, connected me with somebody at, at Amazon uh, that, w- that was recruiting. And um, I went in for a job in the finance group. Like they didn't have a strategy team at the time. Um, so I went in and worked uh, uh, for the finance team. I, uh, I interviewed, I spent my, I flew out there. I spent my day interviewing with like people from finance. And then ultimately uh, a woman named Joy Covey, who uh, was the CFO at the time. Um, and um and yeah, I could I could probably spend like 20 minutes telling sort of funny interview stories. But uh, actually, Joy, at the end of the interview, said to me, like, uh, it was a Friday night. And she said, like, you know, this is in December. And and, uh, and at that time, if you worked at Amazon in December, you either worked in the warehouse, um, you, so you did your day job. And then at night, you went and worked in the warehouse or in customer service because wow. it was like, you know, so busy. Um, and Joy said to me, like, you know, I know you got to fly back and like finish this consulting project you're on uh, in New Jersey, which was actually helping nobody beats the whiz. If you remember them, sure um, get out of bankruptcy. Um, uh, uh, spoiler alert: they did not. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, Joy said, uh, Joy said, like you know, here's what you should do: call your boss, tell them that you'll come back in in February, and you'll spend six months more than you plan to. Um, go down to the gap, buy some casual clothes, start work tonight, uh, in the warehouse at Amazon. And, um, and me and all my wisdom said, that's insane. No. (laughs) Um, and, um, and so I did not do that. That cost me a lot of money in terms of vesting. Um, and, um, I instead started on, I think January, like fourth or something, uh, the following month. And, uh, and I think my stock options were never above water uh, for the time I was at Amazon. Oh man! But <laughs> but it was like I mean, but Amazon was amazing, right? Like all kidding aside, my wife and I joke about this a lot because she and I met uh, working at Amazon. Mm. Um, um, Amazon was amazing. I worked in finance. I worked uh, like sort of half my job was like 
traditional FP&A, like financial planning and, uh, you know, account, uh, uh, planning and accounting, right? Like doing like forecasting of the P&Ls, things like that. Um, and I spent my other half kind of working on strategic projects. So I helped, um, I helped with the business plan for Amazon France and Amazon Japan. I worked on some book pricing strategy. I worked on a couple other things that were really interesting. And then actually, this is how I ended up as a product manager um, was we bought a company. I was one of my jobs was to like forecast the impact on the P&L when Amazon invested in or bought a company. And in 1999, they were doing tons of, you know, minority investments in the companies and, and some acquisitions. Um, and we bought a company called Toolshed of the North. It was a catalog company. They actually made, they, they produced a physical catalog that they mailed to people to sell woodworking tools and, uh, and, and uh, construction equipment. We bought them and I worked on the integration team that then turned that into the lawn and patio and tools and hardware uh, tabs on Amazon. Um, and so I, I then switched over into product management, um, not really knowing what product management was. In fact, it, you know, it was kind of like poorly defined between product management and program management. Um, but I, that's what I worked on at Amazon. And then, uh, and then ultimately that's kind of like what my career turned into. Okay. So from there, you helped Nordstrom with their e-commerce presence. In the interim, I helped a friend. Uh, I did. Leave, I left Amazon, um, and I. I always say this: like I. I really left Amazon for the wrong reasons and and uh, too early. Um, I just wanted, you know, I had big expectations for my career, and mm -hmm. it wasn't going as fast as I wanted. And you know, it, uh, in two thousand, Amazon was kind of like the rest of the e-commerce and uh, internet space was like in the tank. And some friends of mine, uh, a friend of mine from college, one of my roommates. Um, uh, had started a analytics company, uh, an analytics startup. And I thought like, okay, I'll go do that. I'll go help with that. So I, I helped them for about, uh, six months, um, help them get that started. And then basically told them, you know, you guys don't really need me. Like, you know, as a third sort of co-founder, um, you know, my friend Pete was the, was the engineering leader. His friend, Sean was the CEO and head of sales. And I was kind of in this like weird space of, I would, you know, install a system and like set up a, you know, a, a, a SQL server. And it was just like, what am I doing? And, um, and so ultimately I, I, I convinced them that they didn't need me. I went back to Seattle, uh, and I went to work at Nordstrom and that was, um, uh, Julie, uh, a woman named Julie Bornstein, um, uh, who most recently was, um, the COO of Stitch Fix. Um, but Julie hired me, her, she, uh, her husband had worked at Amazon or worked at Amazon. So we kind of knew each other. And she basically said like, look, I think you're going to apply to business school in the next year. Why don't you come in to Nordstrom, help me out with some things around product and analytics. And, uh, you know, and while you're applying to business school, like, let's see what happens. And that was basically exactly what we did. So I kind of came in a little bit of a jack of all trades. I worked on some analytics work. Um, you know, it's, at the time, Nordstrom.com was a separate company. Mm. Um, I remember and those it was days. Yep. the catalog business and the internet business. And the catalog business was dying and the internet business was growing. And they were trying to figure out like, how did merchandising work across these two entities? How did customer you know, attribution work? Like if the, if the catalog got the customer, but the internet sold the merchandise, like who got credit for it? Um, so I worked on a bunch of those interesting problems. It was, you know, it was a fascinating space. Um, most meetings started with people talking about what everyone was wearing. I, uh, I have one rule in life, which is I, I will not work anywhere where I can't wear jeans. Um, and so like those were, 
those were interesting conversations for me. So you had this plan that you followed through Ivy League school, gaining operating experience, and then your plan was go back to B school and you went to HBS. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, Joy Covey, who, again, was CFO at, at Amazon, tried to talk me out of it. Um, and she was a, you know, Harvard MBA JD, right? And, and, you know, and her argument was like, you're going to, it's the argument you hear, the counter argument you hear all the time, right? right. You're going to learn way more here in these organizations, like doing it, you know, you'll get tons of opportunity, your opportunity cost of going, um, you know, it's not worth it. I think it depends a lot on you. Like, what did I want out of business school? Like I wanted, I actually wanted a couple things. I wanted a, a little bit of a vacation, right? Like again, I needed kind of like my gap year. I needed some time to clear my head post.com um, and try to figure out like, what was it I wanted to do? And, you know, and what did I learn to date? So I wanted some of that. I just wanted the time off and and sort of the intellectual to step back and have a little bit of that intellectual fun of like thinking about problems as opposed to just like doing and operating. Um, and, uh, you know, and then certainly the benefit of like network and, and all of those types of things were, were part of the deal. But, um, but that was, you know, that was me. Like I was not in a, uh, I was not willing to kind of say like, okay, I'll just find another company and hope I get a good mentor and, you know, hope the right opportunities come along. And in retrospect, I think business schools serve me really well, both in terms of network and in terms of the learnings. Um, I think for for some people, you know, it, it's not worth it, and um, you know, it's not a it's not a cure all, right? It's not a it's not a quick fix to you know building your career and thinking carefully about like where are you and what do you want to be and exercising something that I did not have a lot of in my early career, which is patience. Um, and, and really, you know, uh, having a plan, my, uh, I had a boss at TripAdvisor, my first boss at TripAdvisor, um, uh, said once said to me, like, nobody cares more about your career than you. And I think that that's something that I've, I've passed on to a number of people, which is like, you know, as a manager, certainly I should care about building people's careers and their career opportunities. Um, but they need to take ownership of that. They need to guide that. They need to drive it. I can participate and I can help, but, um, but I shouldn't be the one doing it for them. Absolutely. I thousand percent agree with all that. Like, that's so true. And then ultimately, how did you uh, end up connecting with, with TripAdvisor? Yeah. Uh, I will tell you, um, uh, not a lot of people know this one. So, um, so I actually, so I came out of, uh, uh, I came out of business school and I actually worked at monster.com for about, uh, 10 weeks. Really? Yeah. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. It is not, uh, it is not on my LinkedIn. Um, so I, I, I had this great job on paper at monster.com. This is 2004, you know, uh, the economy was starting to pick up again, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in full swing. Mm -hmm. Um, great job on paper. Uh, as a director of product at Monster, and I showed up, and you know, long story short, it just was it was not a good fit on a whole bunch of levels. And um, you know, you have to remember, like dot com era, people switch jobs every six months, right? First dot com era, uh, people switch jobs every six months, one year, and um, and so I would come home. I had a you know, I had a one year old kid, another kid on the way, uh, you know, soon to be, um, just came out of business school. And I would come home and I would tell my wife like, oh, this is like, this isn't working and this isn't working. And like, I, and, and my wife, uh, uh, always the, um, uh, the sane one, uh, uh, the sanguine one in this relationship, you know, basically said, look, 
either get out now and it never happened or like put your head down and suck it up and like, you know, make it work for a year plus. Um, but like, I'm not listening to this every night. So like, I really <laughs> encourage you to take that. Right. Um, and she was right. So I called up a recruiter that I knew, a local recruiter I knew and, and I, and I, Larry, and I said, Larry, like, you just got to find me another product job. Like I'll take anything. And, um, and he, uh, he said like, well, there's this company called TripAdvisor, uh, really smart guys, just got bought by IAC, um, doing really well. Like you'll love the founders, you know, do you want to meet with them? And um, I, Steve, who's the CEO of Trip uh, and founder of Trip, I tell this story all the time. Like now that I know Steve, this makes sense. But I said, Larry, what's the job? And he said, well, it's a product marketing merchandising manager. That was like literally the job title. I'm like, that makes zero sense to me. Like, I have no <laughs> idea what that is, right? right? But sure, let's talk to him, right? Uh, and so I, I met with Steve and Langley, who's now uh, the CEO and founder of Cowgurus, and Nick, who is the other co-founder of a trip, uh, head of engineering. And um, yeah, uh, got hired as a product manager and, um, uh, and it, uh, you know, and it, it worked out great. <laughs> And so they had just been acquired by IAC. So I was going to ask, like, what stage of the company yeah. were they at? Like, how many employees? Like, what was, I don't know if you remember their yeah. scale at that point. I'm sure they were at significant, but not to the point yeah. of where they are today. For, you know, I said earlier, I, I'm terrible remembering people's names, sure. but I have this strange ability to remember meetings and, and data that is completely irrelevant now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do actually remember all those things. We were about 35 people. TripAdvisor was 35 people when I joined. Uh, they had just been acquired by IAC. Uh, they were uh, going to do about $60 million in revenue that year. Um, and, uh, and, and we're profitable. Um, but, you know, it was like, you know, it was the proverbial rocket ship, right? It was yeah. growing tremendously. Uh, you know, it had sort of, you know, it's not, I don't think TripAdvisor, it's not fair to say they invented consumer reviews. Like, I mean, Amazon was doing that ahead of time, mm -hmm. but certainly they had brought them to the travel industry where it was unheard of, right? I mean, the first few years, uh, we would talk to hoteliers and they would say like, yeah, we like you guys, but like, you got to lose the reviews. Like, you know, we don't like those reviews. Um, and I think we crossed the 1 million review mark in 2005, uh, maybe 2000, early 2006, right? And now they're at what, 600 million reviews or something like that? So they didn't like it because occasionally there'd be a negative review and they'd be like, oh, seriously? Like, yeah, it's not fair. Or like, you know, it's, uh, we're not going to work with you guys if you publish the negative reviews, that type of thing. And, you know, I, I think we, uh, you know, to, to Steve's credit and to the team's credit, like we, we sort of persevered through that. We, we felt like, the guiding light was always that, you know, real reviews, real people, like bringing sort of transparency to the market, um, both, you know, and that, and that played out in a number of ways. It was first in content. It was later in sort of information about, you know, about the properties, like, you know, meta information and then uh, now in pricing and, and things like that. So I think like that idea of actually, it's one of the things that like has really stuck with me is the idea that, you know, transparency just solves a ton of problems. And, and if you can build, um, you know, businesses and systems that like thrive on transparency. Um, uh, it's really great for consumers. So when you initially joined in the, in a product role, what that job title, what did it end up being? Like, what were you, what were you focused yeah. on initially? Uh, so I joined as a senior, uh, I joined as a senior product manager. Um, 
David Crowder, who is now the CEO at Paint Night, mm-hmm. uh, if you know uh, David, sure. um, but he was the president of Smarter Travel for a while. So David and I actually got hired for the same job. They couldn't decide between us, so they hired us both. And we wow. both started on the same day. Um, so we both showed up. Um, we walked into the, you know, the TripAdvisor offices at the time. There was no reception desk. Um, actually, that's not true. There was a reception desk, but there was no receptionist. Um, and um, we and everybody was at a conference, right? Like there were like a skeleton crew of people there. And uh, there was a note on our desk that had like our username and password. Um, so not great security. Um, and basically a note that said like, go over to the reception desk. There's a whole bunch of boxes there. Pick a computer from the boxes. Get yourself set up. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll get started. And basically David and I divided this job where I kind of did like analytics and revenue optimization and he did like UX and like uh, UI type of features. Um, and we uh, worked really closely for a couple of years. Um, I actually then, after about six or eight months, I, I sort of worked my way into um, doing search marketing um, at Trip. And so I spent uh, a couple of years in the early years doing search marketing. Um, I will tell you the funny story of um, uh, 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 my boss at the time, Christine Peterson, uh, showed up. Uh, the woman who was running search marketing was going on maternity leave and they needed somebody to uh, fill in. And so my boss showed up and and said like, Hey, you know, you're pretty analytical and we need someone to, you know, work on search marketing. Like, uh, do you want to do this? And uh, she's never let me live this down, which is my first response was, um, no, thanks. Uh, I'm a, I'm a product person and, uh, and I don't do that marketing. Fluff. She'll, she'll never forget the marketing. Fluff line. Um, and, uh, and to her credit, uh, uh, she, she sort of thought for a minute and she said, okay, let, let's try this again. Um, congratulations. You now are working on search marketing. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I tell that story one, cause it, it shows people kind of what a dummy I am. And two, um, uh, it was the best career decision that was ever made for me. And it, it really was a difference maker. It was, um, you know, it was a, a role that where I got to build product, right? I got to build analytical systems for tracking search marketing. I got to expand our search marketing functionality into multiple languages and, and millions of keywords. And it taught me a ton about what drove the business at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Trip was all about SEO and SEM, right? And ultimately, I ran SEM for a while. I picked up and ran SEO for a little while. Um, and that got me, you know, day-to-day conversation with Steve, got me day-to-day sort of understanding of the economics and and what, you know, the sort of the business levers. Um, and that ultimately led to the point where then eventually uh, our VP of product um, left the company and uh, and I, uh, I walked into, I think, Steve and Christine's office and, and uh, you know, and said to them, I can't remember in which order, but basically like, Hey, I've got a ton of opinions about products. So you probably want to let me run this because, you know, you're just going to hear them anyway. And, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and so, yeah, so then I got the, I ended up as the, I switched to product, uh, management, uh, and running product and someone else picked up uh, search marketing eventually. And, uh, so that's how you really, segued into running product at TripAdvisor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the guy that was running it left and, and I, um, I sort of, uh, convinced Steve and uh, Christine to let me do it. 
bold. Well, obviously, you probably had a track record and a lot of credibility internally to make that bold claim. But good for you for you know putting yourself out there and saying, I'm the best person for this job, because I'm sure they were trying to think, oh, my God, we got to go find someone. Yeah, I mean, we had gone through, um, you know, we had gone through a, a year, about a year and a half earlier when we had been looking for a VP of product, I had sort of raised my hand and, and the, you know, and the feedback was like, look, I, I just think you're not quite ready yet. We've got a couple of candidates in the pipeline. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about it if these candidates don't work out. And we hired one of those candidates and that person lasted about a year and a half. And, and then at that point I was, you know, I think ready and yeah, I mean, as much as I tell the story uh, the way I did, like there was also a little bit of like, look, I, I know the product. I know what drives the business. I know where we're going and where we need to get to. Um, you know, I'm rather than getting someone else like spun up over six months, I, I am the best person for this role at this time. And and they, you know, and it was a stretch role. And so I think like if I can give advice, um, you know, product managers in particular often, um don't have patience like I did. And they want, you know, they want that VP product job, um, you know, sooner than they really are ready for it. And I, I think that, um, again, the key is to like, be building out the skills, like asking for the stretch opportunities, but, you know, being realistic about like, where are you? And, and is there, is the company better off bringing in somebody from the outside or, or someone internal? And, and there's, you know, there's a trade-off in each one of those, but, um, but oftentimes, you know, it's not as cut and dry as, as, you know, someone would want to think. Like sometimes you do need someone who's been there, done that before, particularly in product. I think product especially is a, is as much an apprenticeship type of role as, as any, uh, you know, in the industry. And so you learn it by doing it and you learn it by kind of screwing things up and, you know, making mistakes and, and thinking about how you do things better. And was, you know, TripAdvisor is known for having a very data-driven decision-making culture. Was that always, you know, when you entered day one and then how did you yeah. carry that forward running product? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, it came, it started with Steve, right? Steve's a, you know, uh, computer scientist, uh, degree, um, you know, <laughs> Steve used to, uh, when I was running search marketing, I would get these, Steve would write these emails, right? He would, um, he would basically go program. Uh, he had a, you know, he had a Unix box, uh, uh, on his on his machine uh, on his desk, right? And he would write these scripts that would like pour through the log files and spit out data. And then you'd get them as an email every night. So you get these night nightly emails. Anyone who's ever worked at TripAdvisor will know these Penguin reports. Um, so you get these Penguin reports. That was the name of the machine. And um, and they would spit out random factoids of data. And you know, for Steve, they made total sense, and he could piece all these things together and you know drive kind of things around it. For you know, for for the average person, um, you know, text data file in your email. Now I get like forty of them. You know, I would get forty of them a day, and I think when I left, I was in the hundreds of them a day. Right? It's like you can't do much with that data, uh, and so we had to start building systems. <clears throat> we had to start building systems to, um, you know, use that data and turn it into like automatic bidding systems, automatic keyword generation systems, things like that, and so. Uh, you know, I consider myself a pretty analytical person. Um, uh, I'm a little bit out of the analytics these days, uh, but um, but yeah, it was a, it was something that TripAdvisor always was. It was always very data driven, sometimes to a fault. Um, uh, uh, but using data to make decisions, I, I think, was you know a key part of being a product manager there. 
and eventually obviously became, you know, the uh, 800 pound gorilla in travel. So what was the scale, you know, when you moved on, you finally got to? So, yeah. So when I left, uh, I left last year, right around this time, um, you know, we were at 3,500 people, I think a billion five in revenue, um, you know, 600 million reviews and opinions, you know, 600, 500, 600 million, uh, users, you know, um, I mean, the scale was massive and it was, I I felt like when I look back, like, you know, I said earlier, I, I felt like I left Amazon early and I left for the wrong reasons. And the funny thing was like, I felt like when I left Amazon that I had missed it. Like I had missed the good years, right? Like now, you know, Amazon's 500,000 employees, right? And, and, you know, what Amazon is, uh, certainly there were a lot of great growth years ahead of it. Um, but I felt like I kind of redeemed that miss with Trip. Like I, I just was in the right place at the right time to some extent. I made my own luck to some extent. Um, but it was an incredible ride. It was an incredible opportunity to grow a company from 35 to 3,500. And, and honestly, the thing that I think back on and, and I'm most proud of is, I mean, I love travel, right? And I think that's, this is a thread that you see in my, you know, in my taking a year off to be an exchange student and travel's always been something that's been really important to me. Uh, when I travel now and, you know, you see TripAdvisor stickers all over the world in remote places, you know, and people would email me, friends of mine would email me and say like, oh, I'm in this, you know, tiny village in Peru and there's a TripAdvisor sticker and, you know, in the window, I mean, that was really powerful. And, and you know, it wasn't just that reach. It was the, it really was that democratization and that transparency that TripAdvisor brought to the industry that, that I think was incredible. I mean, uh, there's very few times where you get to transform an industry, like fundamentally change an industry and have it work differently, you know, than it did before you got there. I mean, travel, TripAdvisor absolutely did that in travel. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, that's why, uh, you know, I am where I am now, right? And uh, and why I'm excited about edX is that, you know, we're, it's an opportunity to do that again. So when I, I left TripAdvisor, I was, I was planning to leave TripAdvisor. I planned to take a whole bunch of time off. Um, and just think about what I wanted to do next. And, you know, I have kids who are, uh, in middle school and high school and, and spent some time there. And, um, before I could even get out the door, uh, a recruiter had sent me, um, the job description for the, for the edX role. And I had sort of this mental checklist of like, what did I, what I wanted in my next role? And it was, you know, a, a CEO or a COO role. Uh, it was a global company, you know, it had to be global. It had to be consumer technology, it had to be something that I could wake up in the morning and be excited about, right? There's a lot of things that you can work on that, you know, just don't get you excited in the morning. Um, and and edX kind of ticked all of those boxes. And so uh, I was looking at it and I'm like, man, I really want to take some more time off and, and decompress. <laughs> um, but, you know, this opportunity is not going to be there in six months. And, uh, and, and I was, I'm committed to Boston uh, and, um, you know, the, the, there aren't quite as many roles as if you're going to, you know, uh, head out to West Coast. And so um, uh, I thought, yeah, I better, better do this one before it disappears. And, and what does edX do? Yeah, so edX um, is a nonprofit. We're focused on higher education uh, and bringing higher online courses onto, uh, 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 so bringing courses online uh, from higher education. Um we were founded by Harvard and MIT, so there are sort of founding uh, 
university partners. We have a, a, approximately 140 partners who uh, have put 2,000 courses online. Um, now, you know, courses online, uh, you know, there's lots of people that have been doing that, different forms of online training. I think what makes edX uh, uh, really unique is, is really three things. One, uh, uh, our nonprofit status. So like being nonprofit in education means that we are focused on uh, building the right experience and the right outcomes for learners and for partners, not, you know, for our investors. Um, two, um, we, are, um, we are focused on helping academic partners, like high quality institutions, bring their courses online. So we've built a platform for them to, uh, you know, author courses and, and publish courses online. And three, we've invented uh, this this credential called a MicroMasters, um, amongst some other um, credentials. So you know, there's this idea of you take a course, you get a certificate. Um, we're not the only ones that do that, and and quite honestly, I don't think that's uh, you know an invention of ours. But what we have done is partnered with schools to in, introduce this idea of a MicroMasters, and and MicroMasters is the idea of a stackable um, credential that represents a third to a quarter of a traditional master's degree. And the idea behind it is um, a couple fold. One, that we live in a world where like, it's just not reasonable and feasible for people to you know, leave work, go to a master's program, forgo that cost, you know, we were talking about MBAs before, like forgo the cost of, uh, of uh, forgo the revenue of um, working and, you know, and get this degree. When, Increasingly, our world is moving, you know, fast enough that uh, this idea of a micro degree might be really valuable. And so, uh, you know, do you need a master's in data science, or uh, you know, everybody, every company that's saying they need more data scientists, um, maybe they should transform some of their computer scientists into data scientists by uh, putting them through one of the micro master's programs. And some of those folks will then go on to. Um, want to pursue a full master's in uh, in, in data science, um, and you know that's something that's increasingly going to come online as well. We we already have a master's in uh, a full online master's from Georgia Tech in uh, business analytics, and we just announced a full online master's from Georgia Tech in uh, in cybersecurity that we're launching uh, next year. So I think this idea of stackable credentials that um, people can build on over time that they can add to their career as needed and on demand is a, is a sort of a revolution in education and higher education that's um, that makes a ton of sense for the world we live in and and for the sort of the economics of education today. It's just fascinating how education has evolved and how online platforms like edX are just you know, accessibility, right? And just for me personally, I wish yeah. today's options exist. Like my children, they're, you know, in seventh grade and freshman in high school. And, you know, they have an iPad and, you know, it's just, that's what they do. And it's yeah. so, more, so much more visual, which I learned so much better visual versus a textbook yep. where if I'm not interested in the topic, I'm going to struggle. But if it's visual, I'm probably going to absorb it a lot better. Yeah. Which, I think there are, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm just saying it's just such a, like so many better options for learning now. Yeah. I, I think that we're in this, we're in this really fascinating time period for education, you know, and, and look, there are people that have thought about this problem way more than me. Um, you know, I'm here to, to help sort of build a better operating, uh, business, uh, more than I am to like, you know, uh, think big philosophy about where the future of education is going. But I agree with everything you said, which is, um, one, 
you know, it's just not sustainable for people to be going to college for four years, you know, accumulating hundreds of thousand dollars worth of debt, and then not really being uh, job ready, um, you know, or at least, you know, being job ready for right now, but not future ready. Um, so I think the realization is that at least let's start with um, upskilling and and reskilling workers who have basic, you know, uh, higher education credentials. Um, but those credentials are are now not uh, up to date with where the market's going. And so you're seeing this happen in, you know, particularly in, in, in fields like computer science and data science and analytics, um, which are some of our most popular categories. It absolutely makes sense that, you know, this idea of time shifting, right? So I think we're often, I often think of us a little bit more like Netflix than anything else, right? Like we're competing with your leisure time mm -hmm. and we're competing with your family time. Um, and, you know, historically school competed with like job, right? Like either you were working or you were in school and it was about physical location and that type of thing. I think now the idea of lifelong learning and upskilling and reskilling can be something that is done at night, on the weekends, maybe part of your day. It doesn't require you to be physically located um, where the school is. And it can be, you know, customized and tailored to like what you're trying to accomplish and the skills you have. So we have multiple data science programs uh, across our MicroMasters and professional certificates. Some of that is about different schools offering different programs. Some of them are tailored towards, you know, whether you want to learn to use R or whether you're learning uh, stuff in Python. Um, some of them are tied towards industry and some of them are tied towards different like, you know, um, uh, ability levels, right? You know, uh, some programs are going to be much more um, mathematically intensive than others, right? Some are going to be advanced versus intro. I think this mass, you know, this, this model of like massive customization and personalization around education is only going to be able to be delivered if you do it, you know, online and on demand. And uh, the, the number is obviously very impressive. You know, on your website, you talk about 52 million enrollments across edX courses yeah. and 14 million plus learners worldwide. That's just a huge, huge impact. Um, yeah. Now, what, what, like, there's a lot behind the curtains of edX. Uh, like, how many employees yeah. do you have? Like, I, I envision you, you need a video content platform, you need, <laughs> you know, uh, content management, you need operations. So, I'm sure there's so many facets to the business that people probably wouldn't even know about. Yeah. Uh, so we have, we're 191 people. Uh, I mean, you had some of the stats, those have only grown, right? So we're at 60 million like learners, uh, 16, uh, 60 million, uh, you know, 16 million uh, uh, learners right now, 60 million courses, uh, uh, courses taken. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we have built a platform. I, I, I think of us as a primarily a platform company. We've built a platform by which uh, schools can uh, author and publish courses um, and users can, you know, find and discover and take those courses. And in a lot of ways, there's a ton of parallels between what we're doing here at edX and what we did at TripAdvisor, right? Where, you know, we're democratizing the ability for anybody to come in, you know, and put their courses online, right? We're, we're, we're making it easy for users to find the right course for them. Um, and, you know, and that's uh, right time, right cost, right, um, you know, ability level, right focus area, right, you know, right brand, if you will. Um, 
while edX, uh, uh, we, we need to do a better job at like building out our own brand, um, you know, we are secondary to the, to the schools, right? So when you're getting a MicroMasters, you're getting it from MIT, you're getting, you know, a MicroMasters from Berkeley, you're, you know, on edX. And, um, uh, and we're not getting in the way of, uh, of that, uh, that partner and their brand. And because ultimately they're the ones sort of delivering uh, the credential. Um, but yeah, we've had to build out, uh, you know, and over the six years that edX has existed, uh, certainly lots of um, lots of experiments. Uh, uh, some things worked, some things didn't. But but ultimately, a content management system, an authoring system, what we call Studio um, uh, for course building, uh, and then a front end, you know, discovery um, uh, uh, platform for users. And and uh, and that's there's tons of opportunities still for us to make that easier for users, to make it easier for our partners. Uh, uh, that, those are the things I'm excited about working on. So, in, uh, so you've been there for less than a year, but coming up to a year, yeah, kind of soon. Yeah. So, what's been the uh, the biggest challenge in this new role for you? Yeah, I mean, education is a tough space to wrap your head around. Um, I think because one, you know, it segments into so many pieces. Are you talking about like you know K through twelve? Are you talking about higher education? Are you talking about you know workforce training? You know, education is a very broad word. Uh, and then um, there's lots of different opinions about like where, you know, wh where it should go, what it should be. Um, and education is so fundamental, right? It's such a fundamental, like, you know, human right. Um, it's hard to talk about it as a business. It's hard to talk about it as a platform. Uh, but I think ultimately... Um, we need to talk about it like that, right? We need to talk about it as something where we are trying to connect these incredible academic partners and uh, and faculty members um, who are who have you know dedicated their lives right to like educating people. We need to connect them with an audience that is willing to uh, and interested in in learning that material, and that's a global audience, right? It's an audience that is not just you know people in places. Where you know the nearest physics teacher is a hundred miles away, uh, and and edX is a, an incredible opportunity for that person, um, but also you know somebody who is has an office job and is just thinking about like, yeah, where where my job currently is and where I want to get to. Those are I, I'm going to need some help, um, and I think along the way, being a nonprofit and being who we are, like very mission driven company. Um, we're also trying to navigate a little bit of like, how do you make that sustainable? How do you how do you ensure that we're around to make those numbers hundreds of millions of learners, right? And and billions of courses taken, and and that necessitates us thinking a little bit about the business model. And like, um, I think it's um, I think it's fair to say that like we, you know we'd love to live in a world where like we could deliver all of this for free, but we you know we just can't. Uh, and so finding places where we can charge, finding places where we can get people to put a value on this um, is one of the things, uh, one of the challenges. Um, I think uh, on the plus side, we're doing some incredible things around the, you know, online master's degree in cybersecurity that's probably going to be somewhere between ten dollars and $12,000, right? Like that's unheard of to be able to go get a master's degree for $12,000, right? Imagine if, you know, the future of bachelor's degrees is, uh, you know, online and a quarter of the price of what people pay today. Like that is such a lift for humanity in terms of people's education levels and job opportunities. Um, that's the thing that drives, you know, uh, uh, I think the folks uh, inside the building here. 
I mean, the mission of edX is obviously phenomenal. And I assume you're yep. growing the team and, and hiring. Yeah, we are. We are, uh, you know, like every other company, we, uh, we, we struggle to find great talent. Um, but I think, uh, we are growing the team. We're, uh, you know, we're looking for engineers, uh, product people, uh, we've got a team called ed services, uh, you know, so really across the board, uh, growing, um, you know, I think the, the thing that I would, uh, I would imp- uh, I, you know, I'll give you a spotlight on one particular team. So one of the themes that I um, kicked off when I got here, I, I, I've introduced a bunch of themes. Uh, and one of the themes is really around our revenue model. And so um, one of our engineers, Gabe Mully, uh, uh, Gabe Mully um, is uh, uh, looking for engineers to add to our revenue team. And this is a team, you know, straight out of the the TripAdvisor books, right? But a team that is focused on experimentation and on like, really trying to get into like what works and what drives uh, more monetization, uh, which ultimately leads to, to sustainability for us. Um, so Gabe's uh, looking to hire people um, uh, as our other teams. Uh, you know, one thing I'd say is um, I think the thing that's kind of struck me more than anything else about coming to work at edX is it really is a place where um you get to work on something that can be so powerful in people's lives. And, and that's not to say that, uh, you know, lots of the other jobs out there aren't fun and exciting and working on cool stuff. Um, but there are very few opportunities where I think you can, you can really, you know, go home at night and think about like, yeah, I'm going to, the stuff I'm working on is going to ultimately change the world, right? It's going to change the world for the better. Uh, and that's, it's a really cliche thing to say, but it, it's totally true. If we can, if we can uh, grow edX, if we can make ourselves sustainable, um, because we're a nonprofit, right? I don't have to, um, I don't have to make my investors um, money, right? right? I can take all public. of our profit, yeah, <laughs> and I can plow it right back into our people, mm-hmm. our product, and our students. Um, I can make our partners more sustainable. I can, you know, I can do all of these things that are going to fundamentally change the landscape of education. And that's the thing that, that I think is really powerful to think about. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've also played roles as an advisor, mentor, and an active member of the Boston tech scene, plus a board member. And, you know, the, the board member seats that you've had, the most recent one, WordStream, was acquired, which was a, a yeah. great success. So yeah, it was one- amazing. How does one become a board member? Like, I just, I never understand. Like, is it just while you hit success at TripAdvisor and people come knocking saying, hey, can you, you know, we're looking for board seats. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. You know, I got a story for everything. Um, (laughs) I, uh, early on, uh, so two things happened. Um, So early on, uh, I, uh, a local company, I I, I probably won't name this one. Um, Local company tried to hire me and, uh, and I, I didn't take the job, but I, I ultimately took sort of an advisor role with them. And that uh, got me introduced to uh, some, some of their VCs. Um, and that started to turn into some conversations about advisory and kind of board work. And I was complaining, uh, actually, I was complaining to Jeff Buskang, um, who's actually on the edX board, turns out. Um, but I've known, I've known Jeff for a while. I was complaining one year to Jeff because I was saying to him, like, you know, it's really funny. Like I know a ton about SEO and SEM, right? I, I work on SEO and SEM at TripAdvisor. This is back in, you know, 2007 or whatever. Um, and like, nobody wants me on the board. They all want Steve on the board, right? But like Steve, you know, Steve's a great board member, like totally a great get to have, but Steve would also, I, I, I don't want to put Steve in words in his mouth, but I think he would basically say like, yeah, I got, 
three hours of my time I'm willing to give to this, right? And, you know, Adam's got like 20 hours of his time that he, like I'll work nights and weekends, right? Because I'm super excited to have this opportunity. And I think there's this funny disconnect between like board member and advisor where lots of people will want you as an advisor and and sort of, you know, sometimes that's code, that's code for like unpaid employee. Um, uh, um, but, you know, what I wanted was a board role. And so I, I used advisory work in the early days to kind of build those relationships. And then uh, eventually the, a couple opportunities came along. I, I was um, I was on a board uh, with Jeff um, Laura Fitton, who's yeah, now at um, HubSpot. Um, so I was on the 140 board. Yeah. Um, that was kind of my first real board role, um, and it was a it was a great learning experience as sort of an independent board member, um, you know, non 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 investor. Um, and then WordStream came along, and um, and I got connected to uh, Larry and Ralph, and um, and and it was just the perfect fit. They they needed an independent board member who had a background in sort of product. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was great. That was a great board. Um, I mean, uh, the team there was amazing. Um, uh, and the board was uh, fantastic. It, it was, um, I really, I, I missed that one. Uh, you know, I'm sad to see them, uh, get sold because I lost the board seat, but, uh, uh, but thrilled for the outcome. Like that was a, that was a real grind, uh, and kudos to, to, to Ralph and team. Um, I mean, they, they built that business into something amazing. Well, this sounds like a prime opportunity for any founders out there looking for board members that you have this uh, yeah. open option right now. <laughs> I, have a, I have a free slot on my calendar. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm still doing some advisory work. There's some great, I mean, there really are some amazing startups in the Boston area. Uh, and, you know, it is my, my advice to people is like, it is a, you know, it's a game about like one, it's not a game. It's a, you know, it's an, it's a, it's a lesson in, one building relationships and two adding value like and and being helpful and you know i think that was actually the hardest thing for me to learn was that there were times where like yeah it's super exciting to be on that board but you know at the end of the day i'm there to help the company i'm i'm there to add some value and uh, it doesn't mean that i you know run anything and it doesn't mean that i like you know i do work um you, you know that i'm not asked to do but but when asked to be helpful uh I, i'm there to lend perspective and to you know, to be a thought partner and to sometimes uh, do some recruiting and, and things like that. That's, I think that's very um, incredible advice. Cause I, you never, I think it's founders and then, um, you know, people that may think they're qualified to be a board member, but you don't really know, like, how does that, how do you actually land into that role or what is the actual role involved? Like you just think it's like, you have these meetings and you know, the entrepreneur yeah. gets up and they have to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and you sit around and you give advice and you leave. But uh, I think the board seats should be, um, you know, more prevalent in Boston. Like, I don't know. You just never hear yeah. of like people on boards and you, know, you hear advising and Techstars did a good job of getting mentors going. But uh, I think there needs to be more people like you that have seen, you know, great success in scaling companies. Uh, and I know people want to give back, but there's just not like a formalized understanding of how that all happens. Yeah, it's a hard thing because, you know, on one hand, like the board's got a very specific job, right, in terms of oversight and governance. And um, and and so, like, there isn't a lot of room and opportunity to have, you know, this sort of peanut gap of, of people sitting in. You know, that said, I'd love to see companies, you know, take a more proactive approach in, like, finding uh, a great, um, you know, a great operator and and sort of cultivating 
that that person as a board member, right? By giving them an observer seat. Um, and I think if that opportunity comes up, like one of the lessons for that person, that individual to learn is that, you know, as a board member, yeah, your job is to, um, your, your job is not to do the job of the executive team, right? It's to uh, help them, you know, whether that's guidance or feedback. Uh, I mean, you have some mechanical things that you have to do in terms of like approving, uh, uh, you know, some of the governance pieces, but I, it really was a, a interesting learning opportunity for me to realize, like, to look around the room and realize, like, you know, I wasn't the financial uh, sponsor of this company, right? I wasn't one of the VCs that had money in this company. And so there were times where I would, you know, absolutely defer to uh, other board members, right? They were experts in this area. And quite frankly, they had more skin in the game than I did around certain decisions. Um, but there were places where like, I played a very specific role. I played a role in helping them think through, you know, product strategy a little bit. I played a role in, uh, in, in thinking through like, you know, how to get to be more experimental. Um, and I think those are the times where, you know, uh, the sort of the, the floor was mine, if you will. Right. And I added a ton of value, I hope, uh, I think, um, uh, where, you know, others couldn't. And so I think finding that balancing act where it's not about, you know, who speaks more or whatever, but, um, where the conversation in the boardroom is helping the executive team and the CEO in particular kind of propel forward and, and solve some tricky problems and bring some perspective that they may not have, or just, you know, as a sounding board, I, I think figuring that out and seeing that from the inside is really powerful. So yeah, I'd love to see more companies uh, find ways to kind of unlock that for people. That's again, great, great advice. Well, Adam, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate sharing yeah, all your words you. of wisdom. Um, you know, as you noted, edX is hiring. You can find their job openings on VentureFizz on their biz page or certainly on their careers page. So check them out. Yep. It certainly is a, a, a an amazing mission-driven company. Yeah, well, no, again it's, it's your, great. Uh, uh, I'm excited to be here. So, well, uh, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Keith. I really appreciate it. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.